Hey everybody, how's it going? Thanks for joining me this afternoon. I am Oren McIntyre. So yet another GOP primary debate without the relevant candidate, of course, Donald Trump, but we did have Chris Christie, Nikki Haley, uh, Vivek Ramaswamy, and of course, Ron DeSantis. This was an interesting one, despite the fact that, of course, the major player wasn't here. While it is often like we are listening to the kids table, it is interesting to see what ideas come up, what is percolating in kind of the consciousness while these debates are going on, because it does have some interesting moments that kind of indicate where the party is going or where the discussion is going. And that's what I'm always interested in. Where is the debate moving? Where is the zeitgeist? What's being memed into reality? These are the things that I think really matter in this situation since the, again, most relevant candidate isn't on stage. So I wanted to go through the debate today and play a few of the clips for you, listen in to what these guys had to say, because I do think some really important things were discussed. And of course, I think the most important one was the fact of replacement level migration that was brought by Vivek. But before we dive into all of that, guys, let's hear from today's sponsor. These days, it's impossible to thrive with just one job. Between increasing living costs, paying off debts, and planning for the future, things like buying a home, building savings, and even going on vacation can seem like fantasies. If your goal is financial freedom, you could start taking on more hours at your current job, work towards a promotion, or try putting your money into something risky like stocks, cryptocurrencies, or even a side hustle. But at the end of the day, do you really want to sacrifice time and energy that could otherwise be spent with your loved ones or on your hobbies? just to make a living? Luckily, you don't have to hustle to reliably make more money. All you have to do is job stacking. Job stacking is the best way for regular people, regular employees, to unleash their earning potential and increase job and financial security. How? By working multiple jobs, but without burning out, or more importantly, getting caught by corporate overlords. Job stacking allows you to reliably receive paychecks from multiple employers each month without having to work more than eight hours a day. You don't have to be in tech or any particular field or industry to do it as long as you can work remotely. If you've thought about working multiple jobs, but you're not sure how to start or are afraid of getting caught, get the fundamental job stacking course today and learn all of the secrets on how to sustainably work multiple full-time jobs from the foremost expert on the matter, Rolf Halza, author of Job Stacking. Rolf has worked multiple full-time jobs since 2018, including hybrid jobs, and has condensed all of his experiences and wisdom into a single four-module online course so you can start proficiently job stacking without having to make mistakes, figuring things out on your own, or reinventing the wheel in the process. Go to www.jobstacking.com and enter the promo code ORIN to get a special discount. All right, guys, so let's go ahead and take a look at the debate last night. Like I said, it's the kids' table in a lot of ways. All of these people here that are running are really just hoping something happens to Donald Trump, something bad happens to Donald Trump. I know that's a terrible thing to say, but it's just the truth. Obviously, he's ahead by a lot. Trump is crushing uh, in the polls everywhere. Uh, that's something that that was brought up during the debate. Actually, I'll give credit where it's due. Megyn Kelly was kind of the, the main moderator for this. And this was a better debate than what we've seen from a lot of other situations. Uh, I still think that the best one was, was the summit where Tucker Carlson got to do 30 minutes with kind of each candidate. However, this was, as debates go, this was better as a much smaller, of course, only four people on the stage. And the questions that were asked were pretty, were pretty pointed. And Megyn Kelly pointed out that the, the entire field was being lapped by Donald Trump by a good bit. Even Ron DeSantis, who was supposed to be the front runner, was supposed to be the other guy, the non-Trump candidate, was supposed to coalesce all of the support. 
that was not for Trump behind himself. He was supposed to be the most relevant guy on the stage. He has really failed the launch here. And again, I like Ron DeSantis. He's my governor. He did an amazing job, especially during the pandemic. And he has my support as Florida governor and my thanks. I think he's a very good policy guy. And I think that he has a very valuable future when it comes to administration and politics. However, this was just not his time. And I think that's become very clear at this point. He's he's down, I think, by like 30 points, even in Florida, his home state, where he is well-loved, which just kind of shows you how it was not a good idea for him to get into the race at this time to kind of waste his political capital and his moment when he would have been the heir apparent to Trump after this. I think a lot of people just didn't understand the dynamics going on or they just didn't care. A lot of the GOP base feels like Trump was robbed. They feel like he's an incumbent and they feel like he deserves the next chance. And yeah, there's a lot of things you can level Trump. There's plenty of criticisms about Trump that are 100% valid. I have them myself. Trump is not a perfect candidate. He's not even close. He's deeply flawed as both a human being and as a politician for what he did in office, the promises that he failed to keep. I'm not trying to defend any of that, but there's just a political reality on the ground that I think DeSantis should have recognized, his his advisors should have recognized. But of course, they're not incentivized to do that because then they don't make money, right? So the the, the best advice to give a candidate is to keep you employed. And so to keep you employed, you have to keep telling them that they can win they, so you can raise money and make commercials and, and, and give advice and set up all these plans. And so the, the incentive structure is just not there for anyone to be honest with Ron DeSantis and say, this is not your time. And so I think that he ended up in a bad situation there. However, it is interesting what came up on stage, because while the brutal reality is that none of these people are going to be running for president as the nominee, uh, as the candidate for the Republicans, unless something happens to Donald Trump, he's somehow legally barred or something physically happens to Donald Trump, God forbid. Uh, th that's the only way these people are ever going to end up being the GOP nominee. And so what they're saying here is more interesting because they're kind of running for vice president or candidate or cabinet positions or maybe, you know, board, corporate board memberships. They're running for something else. Every one of these people is really using maybe maybe not Ron DeSantis, but everybody else on. Yeah, he, he thought he was actually going to be president, I think. But but everybody else on the stage is running for something else. They're they're on stage to further their careers as pundits or 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 as think tank members, as policy members, something. They're they're not there to run for president. So it's interesting what they're saying and the issues they're pursuing and bringing to the forefront. Now, obviously, the, I think the most important thing that that happened last night. I think there are a number of things that are important, but I think the most important thing that happened last night was Vivek Ramaswamy bringing the issue of replacement level migration, or as it's often called, the great replacement, uh, onto the stage. He mentioned it during a kind of list of things that he was willing to talk about that no one else was willing to talk about. Let's play that real quick. I think the real enemy is not Donald Trump. It's not even Joe Biden. It is the deep state that at least Donald Trump attempted to take on. And if you want somebody who's going to speak truth to power, then vote for somebody who's going to speak the truth to you. Why am I the only person on the stage, at least, who can say that January 6th now does look like it was an inside job? That the government lied to us for 20 years about Saudi Arabia's involvement in 9-11? That the great replacement theory is not some grand right-wing conspiracy theory, but a basic statement of the Democratic Party's platform? 
that the 2020 election was indeed stolen by big tech, that the 2016 election, the one that Trump won for sure, was also one that was stolen from him by the national security establishment (coughs) that actually put up the Trump-Russia collusion hoax that they knew was false. There's a reason why I'm the only person on the stage who can say these things. All right. So he lists a number of things there that he's right. Most of the people on that stage are not willing to touch because they fear the lack, the, the loss of mainstream credibility that liberals give. I just did a show with Jay Burden. You might want to go back and watch that one episode if you didn't catch it, where we talked about the importance of the prestige that is sought by many conservatives or many establishment GOP members that is granted by mainstream institutions, particularly ones, of course, controlled by the left, as almost all of them are at this point. And he's right that many of the people on that stage that are you know, besides himself are not willing to address those issues, use those words, touch those third rail issues, because they still want to be seen as uh, as legitimate in the eyes of someone like the New York Times, or more importantly, probably the donor class, right? They want to be able to continue to cash those checks from big donors, and big donors don't want you to talk about any of the issues he just listed, but particularly replacement level migration. This has, of course, been treated as a conspiracy theory, and I think he tweeted out a very good follow-up tweet after he mentioned this. I'll just read it out real quick. He said, the conspiratization of the Great Replacement Theory is the, uh, is the standard left-wing playbook. Transpa- uh, transparently advance a toxic pol- policy, then label it a conspiracy theory when the other side contests the merits of it. We need a real debate over whether intentionally facilitating mass illegal immigration to change this country is good for America or not, because that's exactly what's happening. I think it's bad, but the left believes it's a good thing. We should be able to make the case for this. And he's exactly right. What the left does so often is implement a malicious policy and then stigmatize any discussion or debate on it by branding it with some kind of radical right wing or conspiracy theory label. And we've seen this so often. Again, you can just look at the very many instances of this during the pandemic, whether it came to certain shots, certain requirements, certain medical treatments, uh, the the different aspects of masks, the, the, the facts of spread when it came to the disease itself. These are all things, if you had any alternative explanation that did not fit into directly the mouthpieces of the regime, then you were labeled a conspiracy theorist. And even people with decades of high-level experience and incredible credentials who had long uh, strings of of very reliable uh, publishing of papers and, and, and working in this field, they were labeled as conspiracy theorists by just for just stating anything that happened to be factual, but outside of the mainstream narrative. And of course, we see this all over the place, and it's, it's definitely included in migration. It is undeniable. There's just simply no way that any sane person looking at the facts can deny that the left is specifically looking to replace the current population of the United States slowly but surely, not through any radical, you know, crazy, like marching anyone to, to, to concentration camps or anything, but they are looking to slowly but surely allow a stream of immigration into the United States that fundamentally changes the population, the demographic realities and political realities that are attached to those demographic realities inside the United States to secure a left-wing majority in the democratic process. And if you don't think that's the case, all you have to do is listen to the left for 10 seconds when they think that you're not paying attention. 
because they will loudly and proudly on a regular basis announce their intention to do exactly that. They will speak triumphantly, triumphantly about the fact that the demographics in the United States are shifting, that they are inevitable, and that the demographics that are replacing what were a legacy mixture of Americans in the United States are going to perpetually vote for the left. Now, that doesn't necessarily have to be the case. We've already seen, for instance, in places like Florida, that Hispanics can move in the direction, for instance, of the Republican Party when it came to DeSantis's very large victory, even in places like Miami-Dade. So competent governance inside of certain areas may indeed shift those. Those block voting blocks may not be as monolithic as the left hopes, but they are, of course, right, and they're fully aware of the fact that new immigrants because they are not connected to the culture and to the established order inside the United States, tend to look to the left because they're the ones offering them handouts. They are the ones offering them programs that will give them a leg up. And again, if I was living outside the United States, if I was one of these people who wanted to have a better life and saw the economic opportunity, the opportunity for my children, I would probably move. I would probably come in. I would probably do the things that they are doing. I'm, I'm not surprised. We have put our, uh, these aren't bad people in the sense that they are malicious in many ways. Some of them are, but many of them are just looking for a better life. But they are following the incentive structure that has been set up by a political party that is looking to move them into the United States for the explicit purpose of changing the voting, uh, voting patterns in the United States perpetually keep the left in power. I think it's something like 8 million new uh, illegal immigrants have been brought in during Biden's term. That's more than multiple red states. That's that's at least one or, or more blue states that have basically been added to the mixture of the United States just during Biden's term. That's not even counting everything that happened before that. That has to permanently change the way that votes occur in the United States. And of course, again, the left knows this. They specifically do things like fly these immigrants into red states, uh, the, these illegal immigrants into red states. Once they've arrived, they, they do the same thing that DeSantis has been doing, uh, you know, busing these immigrants in. Uh, to, to places like New York, they've been doing that to red states for a very long time, and their intentions are very clear. They're looking to change the voting patterns in those states to secure themselves power. This is the problem and, and the flaw that exists when you have mass enfranchisement democracy. This is the incentive structure that will always exist. There's nothing new to be clear about the Democrats' strategy. You can look at the work of someone like Bertrand Juvenal in his in his book on power he explains how every time the high low versus middle dynamic that i've talked about many times the that power the total state wants to bring in client classes that do are not connected to the current ruling order so if you want to look at kind of the the right the conservatives as kind of a classic ruling order inside the united states they are the the left wants to undermine that by bringing in people who are not connected to those communities, those traditions, those ways of life. They want to bring them in because they are less likely to be loyal to those things, less likely to buy in those things, more likely to instead be loyal to a regime that can hand out status and benefits and economic opportunity to them. They are more likely to do that, and then they use those to that as a wedge against the existing power structures, the existing population. 
Again, this is not some new or novel strategy that the left has developed. This is not something that's that's particularly, I mean, it's malicious, but it's, it's not particularly uh, new to, to the way they're doing business. This is a tried and true power formula used by those that wish to get rid of the middle class, get rid of the established power inside a political body so that they can gain power by destroying their opponents, their competition. Time tested over and over again. This is done. You can look throughout history, nothing new. And the Democrats are simply recognizing that and they are deploying that. And Ramaswamy is exactly right to call this out because it is the issue. It is the only issue that matters because this is an existential threat to the political process inside the United States. If you're going to have a popular sovereignty mechanism, if you're going to have especially mass enfranchisement across the entire body of people inside the United States, you have to control who's here because if you don't, your leadership will. And when the leaders can simply move in a population to change the voting reality on the ground, they will do so. If they don't like the fact that you're opposing certain aspects of their agenda, they will simply move in people who will dilute your vote and then make sure that you don't have a voice. This is just, again, a very classic strategy. And so if you don't have a tight control on the border, if you don't have a tight control on the makeup of the country, then you will lose. That's just going to be true. The political beliefs of people are largely tied to the way that they were brought up, to their culture, to their, their way of being. The values in the United States are not magically handed down to us from the Constitution. The Constitution was a reflection of the natural values that had arisen from the people who were part of the United States. The United States is not just an idea. The United States is a set of values and a culture that came from the people who lived here. And if you change the people in the United States, you will change the values of the people in the United States. That's just true. And the left obviously believe that because they want to fundamentally transform the United States. Barack Obama said so explicitly. That is their goal. And they know that the key to doing that is changing the makeup of the United States. This is not some crazy idea. This is what the left knows to be true. It is the strategy they are directly implementing and will brag about if they are allowed to. It's Michael Anton's uh, celebration parallax, right? If you if you notice it and you're in favor of it, then you're allowed to celebrate it and the noticing's fine. If you notice it and you think it's a problem or you're against it, well, now you're noticing is some kind of racist conspiracy theory, right? Same set of facts. You're allowed to acknowledge them if you're in favor of them, but if you acknowledge them and you're against them, all of a sudden you're a very dangerous person. Vivek points this out. He's exactly right to do so. And you can tell this terrifies people because of the way they react to it. Let me play Van Jones over at CNN talking about how he does not like the fact that Vivek called this out. Smug, condescending way that he just spews this poison out is very, very dangerous because he won't stop Trump, but he's going to outlive Trump by about 50 years. And you're watching the rise of an American demagogue that is a very, very despicable person. Yeah. And I, I'm, I literally, I, I, was, I was shaking listening to him talk because a lot of people don't know that is one step away from Nazi propaganda coming out of his mouth. Oh, he's literally shaking, guys. He, he did a literally shaking meme.
it's terrible propaganda. It's mid-century German propaganda, right? That that's what it is. No, it's simply acknowledging what the left has directly announced, right? In fact, so so to explain how deeply the left's own ideology validates what Vivek is saying, the left regularly tells you that all of the things about America that they don't like are whiteness, right? That they are white. So it is their own ideology that declares these aspects of America to be linked to whiteness. That is what the left says. That is their woke ideology and the way they explain and relate to those behaviors. So by the left's own understanding of the causal relationship between race and approach to things, they would need to change the people in charge. They would need to change the people who hold power in order to get rid of the aspects they don't like. So in their own ideology, this is what they seek. And yet when Vivek simply states the obvious fact that this is what they are actively pursuing and have acknowledged in their own ideology is what they are pursuing, oh, that's a problem. That That's dangerous propaganda. I'm literally shaking. No, it's just the acknowledgement of what your own ideological assumptions lead you to and what you have explicitly said is your agenda. That's that's it. And Vivek is calling that out. Now, I want to get into a little more about the importance of him calling that out and the other uh, issues that were brought up during the debate. Before we do that, guys, let me tell you about The Blind. For years, Hollywood's been lacking when it comes to stories of redemption. Movies and TV shows have trended towards the anti-hero, a flawed person who makes no effort to change and just becomes worse and worse as the story goes on. Well, here's some great news. The Blind, the true story of the Robertson family is now available for purchase on Blaze TV. Maybe you've made a mess of your life. Maybe someone you love is in a dark place. Maybe all of the above. If you or someone you know feels beyond redemption, you need to watch this movie. And you'll see there's always hope. The Blind takes you on an incredible journey through the life of Phil Robertson, giving you an intimate look into the man behind the legend and the trials, triumphs, and values that shaped him through the years. While The Blind wasn't a Blaze Media production, since Phil is such a big part of our Blaze TV family, we wanted to make sure that you had the opportunity to stream it here. Because it isn't ours, we can't include it as part of the subscription, but if you'd rather purchase it and stream it here rather than Apple or Amazon, we wanted to make sure that you had the opportunity to do that. Make sure to act now. Don't miss this opportunity to own The Blind, a Phil Robinson story on Blaze TV. You can buy it today at blazetv.com, The Blind, for $19.99. That's blazetv.com slash The Blind. All right, so we look at the way that Vivek approached this issue, and I think it stirs the pot for a lot of reasons. First, like I said, this is the key issue. Now, of course, I care a lot about many other issues. In fact, I defend the fact that people focus on, for instance, the, uh, you know, the, they'll talk about how, oh, well, we don't need to be worried about things like the left's attack on children and their innocence because, uh, you know, immigration is more important. Look, I, I think they're both incredibly important. But people who, and I think we need to be able to focus on that aspect of left. However, it is true that if you cannot control the your borders, if the left are able to bring in people who will vote their way no matter what, then the rest of the issues you focus on don't really matter because that means that your voting system is incredibly corrupt. This is a this is a national security issue. This is an issue of. Uh, of a lot of different things, but it's also a voting security issue. It's an elections issue. If you do not seal your border, then you are allowing infinite malleability when it comes to the way that the regime can 
manipulate elections, which means they can always turn them to their favor. This should be an issue that's an existential crisis for a real political opposition. That's how you know the GOP isn't a real political opposition because they don't really care. They make a lot of nice noises about closing the border. Even Trump did not sufficiently take this seriously, though to be fair to him, he was hampered in many ways, both by the uh, by the inter, uh, interjections of the deep state and by sabotage inside his own party. But it's very clear that the GOP does not treat this as an actual existential crisis, which is a problem because they're the only people who have the opportunity to take any action on this. Now, it was nice to hear some important things from people like Ron DeSantis talking about the need to tax remittances went to foreign countries so that they can go ahead and use that money to, on the border. Okay, great. I mean, I, you should just be you know taxing those uh, wildly anyway, just to disincentivize immigration into the United States by foreign nationals who simply want to pump money out of the United States and send it to their families. But you should, you also had uh, Vivek talking about the importance of allowing states to enforce, to actually deputize uh, state law enforcement to go ahead and uh, enforce the immigration laws. Critical. Again, this should be an all of the above strategy. Both talked about the importance of deportation, which I think is really great too. That's nice that that is being normalized, that the importance of talking about deportation is on the table. I think that's something that was basically untouched by a lot of Republicans. Oh, we can't possibly send people back once they're here. As soon as they cross the border, they're just here eternally. It's a free pass. No, you're actually having people talking about the importance of large-scale deportation, which I think is good that that's being normalized by Trump and other candidates like Vivek. And I think Santos is also on board to some degree with that. So that's important. Now, that said, I don't 100% support Vivek for a number of reasons. Uh, one being that I think while he's good on illegal immigration, he's still bad on legal immigration. And people need to understand that that's a critical part of the issue, too. It's not just illegal immigration that's a problem. That's the main problem. That's the first thing that should be solved. Obviously, if you don't solve illegal immigration, then legal immigration doesn't matter because your borders are open. So until the borders closed, that's all that matters. However, legal immigration is itself also a problem. We have too much pressure on the average American worker the average American home buyer, the average American business needs to learn how to hire people who are in this country, invest and train people in this country. We need homes, uh, the home market to cool down and reducing the number of people fighting for those homes is critical. These are all things that are really important to the future of the country. You cannot have family formation. You cannot have stable communities. You cannot have the kind of vision that the GOP claims that they want for the United States, unless you go ahead and shut down not just illegal immigration, but legal immigration as well. You need to seriously curtail legal immigration. And I think Vivek, unfortunately, is not good on that. He's still kind of of this mindset that we can just bring HB1 visas in and, and have them fill all these opportunities. You kind of get that, obviously, you know, that's, that's how a lot of uh, in Indians, people of Indian descent move into the United States at the moment, very competent class moving in and taking over many of those areas. However, that is not okay. You should be training people in the United States. You should be advancing people who are already here. You should be having, having corporations invest in the workforce in the United States, not moving foreign workforces, even legally into the United States so that they can have those people in those positions competing with Americans for those jobs, for those wages, for that housing. So 
Uh, while I, it's nice to see Vivek say a lot of important things, I still think that he he is not great on some of these issues. Now, obviously, I don't think any of these people are going to be president. I don't think any of these people are going to be the candidate for the Republicans. So it's more about what they're saying. I'm you know I'm not excited about any one of these guys running for president of the United States or being the Republican nominee uh, because I don't think they're going to be. Uh, but it is it is important to look at what they're saying because I think that the conversation they're having is important. Now it's interesting because while Vivek comes in there, he's kind of doing his best Trump impression, right? He's kind of blowing through people, he's running over people, he's throwing out insults. He doesn't really have the 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 casual nature about it. I don't know what it, I don't know how to properly encapsulate it. But Trump had a a playfulness to his banter that while it could be harsh, somehow always made it feel. Like he wasn't going too far in a lot of areas. And that's what allowed him to kind of get away with some of the things he did. Now, Vivek is trying the same thing, but he, he doesn't quite have the flair. He doesn't quite have the, the, the touch needed to do that. And sometimes that creates situations where people feel like he's too hostile. Uh, Chris Christie went after him uh, on stage. There was a back and forth on this where he got very angry. I'll play that real quick. Do this to you do this at every debate. You go out on the stump and you say something. All of us see it on video. We confront you on the debate stage. You say you didn't say it, and then you back away. And I want to say exactly what, no, what I, I said, Chris. I'm not I done yet. Well, this now is now look. This is not a steal. This is not a steal nonsense. This is the fourth debate. The fourth debate that you would be voted in the first 20 minutes as the most obnoxious blowhard in America. So <laughs> shut up for a while. All right. So, so Christine calls him, you know, blowhard and everything. They get, they get very angry at him. Uh, they, they also, uh, they also have a big spat with Nikki Haley. He, he's very aggressive with her. And so, uh, again, I think that, uh, it, it kind of rubs people a little bit. Like, again, Trump did this. It, it, it also had some, you know, certain parts of, of the base were not comfortable with that, but I think he did have a little more finesse with this. And, and that's why he, gave, he got away with it a little more often. All right. So some of the other things that got brought up during the bait that I think was very important. First, uh, I would say that while Chris Christie, uh, someone just said Chris Christie looks like a Batman villain. Not wrong. Uh, so, so while Chris Christie obviously has no chance and is in his uh, basically just comic relief for much of this debate, uh, he did bring up some good points. He did go to do a good job of actually holding DeSantis's feet to the fire on multiple occasions where DeSantis kind of dodged uh, different uh, answers. DeSantis has this thing he does, and it's a practice political move. It's good. It's good. You know, I'm not I'm not really hitting him on this because this is just what politicians do. But Christie did a good job of kind of nailing him down on this. Uh, he will be asked a question that would maybe run him afoul of the base if he answers it in the uh, if if he answers it uh, with the to deciding with the establishment, uh, or will run him afoul of his donor establishment types if he answers uh, in the affirmative with the base. And DeSantis will kind of split the difference by kind of saying something that is vague about the issue and then pivoting to a, an experience, some actions he took, something he did uh, that is tangentially related to the question, but does not actually deal with the substance of the question. They did this when it came to, would you send troops into Israel? Uh, he kind of went with a, no, but maybe I don't really, but I, you know, I was in the military and so I know what it is to have, you know, 
there was those kind of responses. And Christie really went after him a couple times effectively on that. Christie also correctly pointed out the fact that nobody on the stage uh, was really willing to go after Donald Trump. And that's because Christie is the only guy who knows he or is, who is really not running for a Republican nomination at all. Christie is running for like, I don't know, MSNBC spots or something. He, he is obviously he hates Donald Trump. He does not like the Republican base. Uh, he's not interested in his position in the party really anymore. Uh, he, he's really only interested in ingratiating himself with, with power. Otherwise, he's looking for that strange new respect that is handed out by the left so often once you kind of stab the right in the back. And so he's willing to go after Donald Trump. And, and he's right that this does give him an, an air of credibility on that stage because everyone else on that stage is running against Donald Trump in theory. But all of them know that Donald Trump is so popular with the base that taking hits against Trump will actually play badly for them. So, for instance, again, Ron DeSantis, when asked, did he think that Trump was uh, incompetent or, or like Joe, uh, Joe Biden, mentally unable to do the job, which he had kind of indicated in his prior uh, uh, his prior remarks? It's very clear that that was what DeSantis was saying. He should have just owned it, but he didn't. And because he didn't, he looked bad on stage, as Christie just said. You know, look, you you are insinuating that he can't do the job, that he's too old, but you won't just say it and that makes you look dishonest. And he's got a point there. Same thing with Vivek. Uh, Vivek, though, does do a good thing. He kind of pivots away and says, well, I don't think Trump is the real problem, right? I'm just running because I don't think that Trump is going to be able to run or he's not. He's going to have a, an issue. And so I, I don't, but I don't think he's the big issue. I think there's other other issues that are more important. And then Haley, obviously, she just, again, they know that they can't really hit Trump because he's way more popular than them. Uh, he's so far ahead. They have to hedge their bets constantly. So so Christie, while, you know, obviously he's not going to win anything, he did he did have some value in that he did help hold people's feet to the fire in these areas, and that's kind of important. The other thing I want to talk about, or one of the other things I want to talk about, is the uh, defense of internet anonymity. That was a very interesting thing that came up. Up, both Vivek and uh, uh, DeSantis went after Nikki Haley on the issue of internet anonymity. They both held her feet to the fire. She tried to back away from her position, which was very clearly stated. She said that she thought that the social media companies, the tech companies, should have to show their algorithm to the United States government, and also that everyone on the internet should have their real name attached to their uh, their internet identity. So no more synonymous posting, no more anonymous posting. Instead, everyone should have to show their name on the internet. Now, Ron DeSantis could not uh, pronounce Publius, but he correctly pointed out that the founders themselves uh, published the Federalist Papers under anonymous names. It was very common practice for the people to write letters to the editor under an anonymous name at that time. This is how many of the debates during the founding of the United States and in its critical years after its founding happened. And so this is something that is part of the United States tradition. It's very clear that the United States government wants to destroy internet internet anonymity. That's why they're going after people like uh, Ricky Vaughn, Douglas Mackey, who is currently sentenced to seven months in jail for making fun of Hillary Clinton by making a meme, you know, make up all these all these bogus charges about how he was deceiving people uh, when it came to election time just so that they can punish him. Uh, they, they are trying to put people on notice. They're trying to scare people about this. This is a critical part of uh, the ability of people to speak freely in the United States. The United States is incredibly censorious. 
Uh, free speech is functionally dead in the United States uh, due to the ability uh, and cooperation of intelligence agencies, corporations, and political parties to smother speech inside the borders of this country. Internet anonymity is a critical way to avoid that. It allows people to continue to say important things. Does that mean that some mean, nasty things get said, some untrue things get said? Yes, it does. Absolutely. However, it is far more important for people to be able to air their opinions than it is for Nikki Haley's feelings to not get hurt. And so it was really nice to see both DeSantis and Vivek go after her for this. I think that it's really critical that this is becoming a, a kind of a good consensus inside the Republican Party, that this is the way to approach this. It was nice to hear DeSantis, who sometimes can be a little establishmenty in some of his takes. It was nice to hear him take this tack. Uh, I think it's really important. Uh, and it was very interesting the way he said this. He specifically used the uh, the verbiage of the regime during this. He said he said it's going to let the regime, uh, you know, kind of listen in on people or put pressure on people, social pressure on people. That's really important, guys. That that's a shift in language um, that is almost entirely from kind of the the uh, the online right. Uh, that that is something that got memed into the language of a major political candidate that appeared in the debate because it has been brought forward and that is now in common usage. It is really, it's a really important mentality shift that somebody like Ron DeSantis would now refer to the United States government as if it is a threat to its citizens, because of course it is. The United States government is the most important threat to its citizens is more of a threat than Russia or China or whatever else is out there. And the fact that he is using language that acknowledges that is a huge shift in kind of the Overton window. So that was really nice to see. Uh, there's also something important that uh, DeSantis said that he mentioned uh, was a uh, the his interest in making universities back college loans. That's something that I have talked about uh, repeatedly. Uh, I think that it's it's really critical uh, that we shift that, that when we look, especially when the GOP looks at the issue of of student debt, even though, yes, I, you know, we shouldn't be just paying off all of these student loans. I agree with that, that we should look at addressing this issue. The fact that there is predatory lending, that there is usury happening and that uh, entire generations of people have been made basically debt slaves to the government and to these universities, because these universities wanted to enrich themselves. They've made themselves basically the only option for class mobility for many people who want to enter in to certain jobs. They are the only way for people to get the necessary credentials. And so I think the fact that, and as Stepman and other people have suggested that we should tie uh, the payment of these loans to the universities themselves, make them liable in some way is critical. If we want to pay back the loans, we should use it by seizing the endowments that already exist in these universities. And if we're going to continue to offer these loans in any way, shape, form, or fashion, we should tie them directly to those institutions make them partially or or mostly liable for those for the or defaults on those i think that is a really important issue i'm glad that he brought that up i think that's that's really key all right so uh what else did we have here uh oh vivek and the administrative state so vivek uh repeatedly uh brought up the administrative state which i think is critical uh he acknowledged the fact that elected politicians are not running the government He's just saying that out loud, that the he's acknowledging that the managerial regime is the one that actually runs 
the United States government, that the deep state, and more importantly, because the term, so the term deep state is good. It acknowledges that, for instance, the FBI, the CIA, all of these other government agencies, the established bureaucracies inside of them wield power. But I think it's critical for people to understand that the managerial regime moves. It's not just like spooky, smoking man, government agencies, X-Files stuff. It's also your corporations, it's your media, it's your academia. The, 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 the entire managerial class working across these different disciplines is what's actually running the government. The fact that he's bringing that to the forefront, the fact that he's talking about that as the thing to address, hey, it's not Joe Biden that actually runs the government. Hey, it's not the Congress that's actually making these decisions. It's these agencies to which the power has been delegated that are actually running the show. I think that that's key. I'm really glad that he's bringing that up because I think that's a mentality shift that has to occur inside the Republican Party, inside the opposition, if there's going to be any real uh, addressing of the issues at hand. So I think that this was a, a good debate. Oh, I wanted to play one, one more clip for you here real quick. Uh, this is my favorite conspiracy theory of the night. Here's Nikki Haley uh, talking about uh, Vladimir Putin's birthday present from Hamas. Hold on here was losing that war with Ukraine. Putin had hit rock bottom. They had raised the draft age to 65. He was getting drones and missiles, drones from Iran, missiles from North Korea. And so what happened? When he hit rock bottom, all of a sudden, his other friend, Iran, Hamas goes and invades Israel and butchers those people on Putin's birthday. There is no one happier right now than Putin because all of the attention America had on Ukraine suddenly went to Israel. And that's what they were hoping is going to happen. So a uh, very, very fun conspiracy theory from Nikki Haley there that uh, that Hamas launched their attack into into uh, Israel on Israeli civilians only to draw attention away from Ukraine so the United States would stop supporting Ukraine or would stop giving its full attention to Ukraine and instead would focus on uh, the events there. Uh, again, just the it was nice that the unlike the last debate, the first 45 minutes of this one were not anything but America. It was nice that, that many of the questions asked during this debate were actually about America and his interest and was not uniquely about whether you know we're sending money to ukraine or israel and who can send the most it was nice to see that shift uh but but it, but it was definitely funny to watch uh kind of Haley uh come up with the, this conspiracy theory now i mean there, there's very interesting that a lot of these people unfortunately invested themselves in the idea that ukraine was going to defeat putin that this was going to be kind of the the russian uh well i guess another russian afghanistan because they already did that once uh, but the, in actual Afghanistan, but this, this was going to be their another Vietnam for them. This is where they were going to drag out and they were going to plead all of his resources. Uh, they thought that that was going to be a key part of kind of their strategy going forward. Uh, and, and that just did not end up being the case. And that hurt a lot of people, uh, I think, who invested in that narrative. However, uh, it's very clear that's not going to be the case. Um, and that overall, the, the United States paid, paid a, a decent uh, price, <laughs> well, a rather large price in, in funding uh, for this. Of course, that seems to have been uh, incentivized by politicians who were, who were possibly going to profit from that. In fact, that Nikki Haley happens to be someone who profited quite a bit from sitting on the boards of, of uh, defense contractors. You know, pro probably not a total coincidence there, uh, but, but this is a, a big loss for them that this happened. Of course, uh, you know, <laughs> 
that's a huge loss for the people of Ukraine, uh, many of which were, were kind of thrown into the grinder uh, as the as NATO decided that it was going to fight uh, Russia to the very last Ukrainian. Uh, and you heard people like Mitch McConnell say this, that they're more than happy to just throw waves of Ukrainian men into uh, Russian bullets until, uh, you know, Vladimir Putin goes bankrupt. That strategy has not worked out for them. Uh, and I think that uh, it, it's horrific that they engaged in it in the first place. Uh, and now that we're coming up with conspiracy theories as to why uh, that strategy didn't work, uh, it just kind of shows you uh, kind of kind of the desperation that many neoconservatives are kind of in as, as they kind of go to this free fall of, uh, the, of what looks like a, a loss by Ukraine uh, on the battlefield. All right, guys, we're going to pivot over to uh, the questions of the people real quick. So we have perspicacious heretic here for $5. Thank you to CNN. The term Nazi propaganda doesn't mean anything anyway. Literally shaking right now. Yeah, I, I just I love that they did the literally shaking meme. And of course, yes, this doesn't mean anything anymore, which is interesting uh, in and of itself. Uh, that's that's something that the left has managed to do. Uh, they've gotten so extreme in their rhetoric that even their most their most vile slander doesn't really affect people anymore. Uh, and so that that uh, creates an interesting scenario where a lot of people are willing to speak up about things that they would not otherwise speak up about because the left has just cartooned themselves uh, when it beclowned themselves when it comes to uh, the way that they try to censor people. And it's just not effective anymore. Uh, Creeper Weirdo here. Why are the MSM trying to make Nikki a thing? Yeah, it is very interesting how hard they're trying to do that. She's every liberal outlet's favorite Republican candidate. Remember, she was a Tea Party candidate, by the way. Uh, so that kind of shows you how easily those moments, those movements get co-opted. Um, and now she's she's every uh, left wing uh, rags favorite neocon. I think that's why they're trying to make her a thing. I think that kind of answers your question. Uh, she is containment. I mean, look at the way she runs her campaigns. She She brings her kind of DEI uh, credentials. She talks about how I'm the only woman or I'm the only child of immigrants that could do this. Uh, you know, she talks like a Democrat. She uses the language of the less to justify her position. Uh, she's just a nightmare in pretty much every way when it comes to a Republican candidate. Uh, the fact that she is more or less in second place right now, you know, very cringe. However, Donald Trump is uh, destroying her in the polls. So hopefully we don't have to worry about that. Uh, Mint 20 says, and an Indian calling out replacement migration. Yeah. I mean that, that is what it takes. I mean, there, you know, whether, whether we like it or not, unfortunately there is a certain shielding that comes from racial identity in the United States to talk about these things. It's ugly. Uh, I think it shouldn't be the case. I think that that's a, a Overton window that needs to be shattered, but it is just true. Unfortunately, that a lot of people will use kind of their minority status to shield themselves to then be able to talk about things that otherwise don't get talked about. And that is something that Vivek is probably willing to do due to the fact that he kind of gets some defense there. Now, obviously, it's not a lot because Van Jones is still going to call him a Nazi either way, right? So, you know, what are you going to do? However, I am glad that that is being brought into discussion. I understand a lot of people say, you know, look at, again, Vivek's approach to things like uh, bringing in uh, skilled labor to replace uh, American labor in certain sectors as, as a problem. I agree with that. However, it is just nice that he's bringing 
those that issue to the forefront that just because he bring, he's the one who brings it to the forefront doesn't mean you have to agree with him it doesn't mean that you have to suddenly support him doesn't mean you have to align with him but people have to be able to take the w and i think people need to recognize that when an issue like this gets introduced to the zeitgeist when the language like this is brought to the forefront you know tucker carlson has been talking about this for a long time he's been using this language so it's not just vivek bringing it but it is important so so you know don't shoot the messenger on this one uh, or don't don't shift the issue just because of the messenger it's important that it's getting mentioned that doesn't mean you have to swear allegiance to this guy just appreciate the fact that it's being brought forward uh creeper weirdo again christy cream represented people of calories not doing much else it was really sad uh well done excellent wordplay uh mint 20 here says also christy calling anyone else a blowhard makes me want to self-delete yeah that's that's an excellent point uh chris christy with very little room to talk there uh this very very obviously uh the case so yeah i mean again i think that the way that vivek delivers things sometimes push people the wrong way uh you know i think that he does have a certain harshness that puts people off because he doesn't have that kind of uh playful banter uh style that trump had i think christy was addressing that he did get i think uh, some applause for that i did he did get some acknowledgement for that uh, that could just be the crowd he was in at that moment. But it, I think that uh, that does play with a certain percentage of the base that still doesn't want to see, you know, they want a certain level of decorum, even though what we're watching is obviously kind of a sideshow. Uh, Winston hashtag anime, right? Uh, says funny how the stream went down when they ask Vivek about operation warp speed. Surely GP donor class don't want to keep, uh, don't want to keep watch and have taken it down. Uh, yeah, I, again, I think that um, a lot of people don't want to acknowledge, of course, what was done, uh, including people you know inside the Trump administration uh, during that time. Uh, it's very clear that Trump turned over uh, governance basically to uh, unelected bureaucrats, to the managerial uh, state. Uh, that, that was basically how his presidency was uh, wrestled away from him uh, in what should have been the last kind of strong year or two. Uh, and uh, I, I think that he has paid severe costs for that. Again, there's a lot to criticize Trump about. I, I think that people who do, do so are absolutely legitimate in their criticism of Trump. I think he deserves everything he gets, especially when it comes to the way he handled the pandemic. Trump was not perfect. He wasn't even good in a lot of ways. Uh, but I do think there's just certain truths that we have to understand about uh, kind of the political reality on the ground. And one of them is that for better or for worse, Trump is going to be the nominee. And so the question is, what do you do with that? I think that Trump is better than a number of these people, not because he himself has like uh, qualities that I think compel him to be the best leader, but that he does have a certain affinity to the base, a certain loyalty to the base that many of these other people don't have and a willingness to break out of a lot of the ideological boxes that are kind of set for people when they are beholden to donor money when they're beholden to a lot of these people, these consultants and others who are managing what they do. Uh, ML Wiz for $10. Thanks for the stream, Orin. Well, thank you very much, man. I appreciate it. Thanks for coming by. Again, guys, always great to have you live. Got a big live audience today. Always nice to see everybody. Great to have you guys participating in the conversation. But of course, you can also catch these uh, broadcasts afterwards. You can catch them on Blaze TV. You can catch them on YouTube. You can catch them on the podcast on all your favorite podcast networks and, of course, Rumble, Odyssey, all those places as well. So if you can't make the live broadcast and come by for the stream, of course, you can catch 
the reruns as well. Uh, Life of Brian here says, what would be better, a Trump nomination or the party cheats in Haley? So that's an interesting question. So if the party cheats in Haley, that feels like it would blow up the party, right? That would just destroy the Republican Party because she's so not wanted by the base. Uh, so that that would have an interesting effect. Obviously, like Trump having a shot at the presidency, however, I think brings a whole shot at the system. And in a lot of ways, that's who Trump is. Look, Trump is the rock you throw at the windows of the system. And this is the argument I've made many times over. I understand people who back DeSantis thinking he's a much more competent guy in policy. They're, they're right about that. There's just no denying that truth. However, the question is, do you think competency and policy is the key? Or do you think that someone who is more likely to send the system into like anaphylactic shock is more important? I think that that Trump is kind of the guy who does that. I think that's the more important thing. That's why I've said, you know, he, he probably should get the nod and DeSantis should have waited. But I totally understand people who have the other argument. But I think that's what Trump is. He's a shock to the system, for better or for worse. Um, John Morton here. Thank you for another great stream. You're on fire at the moment. The Blaze are lucky to have you. Well, thank you, man. I really appreciate it. It's great to have you guys. Again, I get so much support from the audience, and it's great to have the opportunity to bring you guys on and talk. And, of course, it's great to be at the Blaze to have that opportunity. Well, it's made this kind of my full-time job, which is great. That's, it's a dream come true. So I really appreciate you guys supporting me because uh, that lets me do something I've always wanted to do. And uh, it, it's it's just a blessing for to be sure. All right, guys. So once again, if uh, this is your first time here, please make sure that you go ahead and subscribe to the YouTube channel. Of course, you want to hit those notifications, guys, because uh, if you don't hit the bell and the notif notifications, then YouTube is dumb and they think that you're subscribing to me means you don't actually want to watch the streams, which is just stupid. So if you want to get notifications and know what's going on and know when I'm going live and be able to catch live streams, then of course you need to go ahead and do that. And of course, if you'd like to listen to this while you're mowing the lawn or working out, I listen to a ton of shows while I'm doing that on podcasts and such, then you want to go ahead and subscribe to the Orm McIntyre show on your favorite podcast platforms. All right, guys, thank you once again for coming by. And as always, I will talk to you next time.